Central Hope. Uh, this morning, as, as Dan said, uh, my name is Jordan, uh, and uh, one of my, my roles here is an uh, intern along with uh, Blake Reap. And so myself, along with Blake, are, are currently uh, in seminary, uh, getting, getting trained to uh, pursue ordination uh, and, and the pastorate. And so every, every so often, uh, they allow me to have the mic and, and stand before you uh, to, to speak words, and so hopefully uh, these, these words will, will ring true, uh, and, and you will be uh, blessed by uh, what God has for us uh, this morning. And so as you may know, uh, we've been going through the Gospel uh, of John, and as you can uh, plainly see in your bulletin, uh, the text for us this morning is rather large. Uh, and, and, and daunting, and so it's uh, John 8, verses 12 through 59. Uh, however, uh, we will not read through the entire thing in, in one sitting, uh, so, so you're welcome, but we will uh, tackle uh, some, different, some different themes that we do see in uh, this passage. And so uh, understand uh, at the outset that uh, our examination of this particular passage will by no means be exhaustive, uh, we will not cover all uh, the different facets and all the different themes that, that we do see uh, in this passage, but we will cover three main points. Um, and in your bulletin, uh, I think you have those uh, notes there with you. So the three main points that we will be covering are uh, the light, uh, the truth, and uh, the people of God. The light, the truth, and the people of God. And so if you're anything like me, uh, you pay a great bit of attention to uh, the news. Uh, news involving uh, pop culture, uh, politics, uh, foreign affairs, and most importantly, news surrounding the church. Also, if you're like me, you probably find the news to be quite discouraging uh, because of what is oftentimes uh, seen and portrayed on the news. Story after story, report after report, evil deed upon evil deed, done by men both within and without the church. Mounting stories of abuse within the church by the clergy uh, whose actual job is shepherding the flock of God. Uh, but again, these stories uh, are of uh, the failings of pastors in the most egregious ways. And if this were not enough, racial tensions abound. Uh, gender confusion uh, faces us in, in our current Context. Preachers who meet the qualifications of a motivational speaker more than the qualifications of a man fit for the pulpit. Fracturing of whole denominations over issues that actually do not take a rocket scientist to figure out that the scriptures are actually quite clear on these issues. The growth of heretical groups like the New Apostolic Reformation and progressive Christians. Sexual promiscuity. The desolation of the idea of the nuclear family the normalization of pornographic use, the rise and triumph of the modern self, as Carl Truman would say, where what I feel deep inside and what I reason to be true must, in fact, be true. All of this is enough to send a person into a state of dysphoria, of great unease and unpleasantness in the current context in which we find ourselves. And so this word uh, that God has for us this morning, and first and foremost, uh, encouraging to me. Uh, I must confess that uh, in the day in which we live, 
uh, I am prone to think that these are the worst and darkest days that have ever befallen human history. Uh, but first, uh, this is actually not true, right? Con contrary to uh, what I might think about the days in which we find ourselves, this is actually not the darkest days that human history has ever faced. And then secondarily, and probably most important, is that even if it were the darkest days that human history has ever seen, the Lord has given us his good and perfect word to direct and encourage his people regardless of the circumstances in which we find ourselves. Amen? And so in our passage this morning, again, we're going to look at three main points, the light in the darkness, the truth in the darkness, and the people of God in the darkness. And so beginning in uh, John chapter 8, uh, verse 12, then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And then Jesus answered and said to them, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from nor where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I'm not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I'm not alone in it. But I and the Father, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. And so in, in the beginning of this passage, we find one of the seven I am statements that we see spoken by Jesus uh, in the Gospel of John. Uh, and again, the, this, this statement that Jesus makes has profound uh, implications for us in our day. First and foremost, the statement implies a need, a need that only by God's grace that we even understand that we have, and that need is life itself. You see, where many people have gotten it wrong, we are actually born dead. Even though we eat, even though we breathe, even though we play, we are born dead in our trespasses and sins. We come into this world as the walking dead. We have no spiritual life within ourselves. We are wholly separated from God and unable to do anything about it. And this has astonishing effects. Because we are dead, we by nature walk in darkness. And this is not to say, however, that men do not do good things. For example, the feminist is actually quite right that women have inherent value and should in fact be treated justly not as property or objects for man's satisfaction. Again, the feminist is quite right to say this. However, the modern feminist, though correct in this initial statement, walks in darkness nonetheless. And this is evidenced by the attempt to usurp God's established order of authority in his church. And so even though men can say and do things that are good for the flourishing of humans, they still lack this one thing that Jesus teaches us. They still lack the light of life. They still do not have life in themselves, therefore they walk in darkness. And anyone who has perceived the world as, uh, as it can easily be recognized, we understand that the world is a dark place, that the world is not as it should be. And so while many strive to find solutions to the world's problems in politics, right, where if we just get the right candidate in office with the right ideas, then the world 
will be a better place. Or in humanism, right, this idea that human beings are actually naturally good. All we need to do is rely on scientific discovery and human reason, and then the world will be a better place. Or in our liberties, if we just allow people to express themselves in the various ways in which they find happiness, then all will be well. Or if we just make sure that everyone has the same thing, right, and that everyone's outcome is the same, then the world will be a better place. But God's word, uh, God's word tells us quite plainly that uh, Jesus is the only light of the world. And while these things do have their proper place, ultimately, the light of the world is not found in any of these things or any of these different ideologies or philosophies, but is found in Jesus himself. And so you see, when we misdiagnose our problem, we quite naturally provide the wrong solution. And so consider the doctor for a minute, right? If a patient comes in who has cancer and they are misdiagnosed, the doctor may give them a Z-pack. But again, the Z-pack will not help them. Their condition will actually not get any better, but in fact, their condition will worsen. It is the same for us. If we misdiagnose the real issue with human existence, we will provide wrong solutions. And in providing wrong solutions, our situation will actually not get better, but it will worsen. And so the only remedy for the world's ultimate problem, which the Bible tells us is sin, is the light of life, who himself is Jesus Christ. It is only by following this light, not the light of politics, not the light of secular humanism, not the light of my feelings, but the light that is Jesus Christ, that man finds life. And this, my friends, comes with a promise that one will never walk in darkness, but will have life itself. And so true life is found in the possession of God, namely being reconciled to him, which comes with a beautiful inheritance, which we will look at later. And so the second thing, uh, and a main ingredient uh, for us is the truth itself. And so dropping down in verse 31, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and I've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen from my father, therefore you also do the things which you have heard from your father. And so one of the main ingredients that the Lord uh, gives us in the midst of darkness uh, for us to thrive, and again, I, I use the word thrive uh, very intentionally, is the ingredient of truth. Jesus in this uh, passage says that it is truth that will set you free. And so again, in the midst of the darkness in which we experience in our lives, it is the truth that makes a man free. 
But what is the truth? What is this truth that Jesus speaks of? And so once more, we must look to the reality of those who sin are a slave to sin. And so this is not just a statement about action, but a statement of position. Here Jesus makes a connection between being a slave figuratively and being expelled from the household. You see, the slave does not belong in the family. He is a hired hand who works for the family, but when his service is done, he leaves the house. He does not remain forever. He has no inheritance in the family. This is directly tied to sin because a sinner has separated himself uh, from God by his sin. Uh, he does not remain in the house forever. He has no inheritance with God. The slave has no way of earning an inheritance in the father's house in the same way that the sinner has no way of earning an inheritance in God's house. However, the son has an inheritance. It is the son that remains in the house forever. But again, we find ourselves asking the question, what is truth? And so let us consider who it is that Jesus is addressing. Jesus is addressing the belief of the Jews that because of their physical descendancy of Abraham, they were free. However, Jesus informs us, uh, and all of them who he's speaking to, that all are actually enslaved and in need of being set free from their bondage. Once more, Jesus is teaching us something profound about true freedom. Freedom is not merely an individual pursuing what they think will make them happy, the pursuit of a certain career or to express oneself uh, in the way that they see fit, uh, but freedom, true freedom, is freedom from the bondage to sin. Again, we are faced with this reality that all men are born into bondage. The bondage does not come in the form of physical servitude uh, because both the queen of England and a slave in some uh, foreign country are born bound to their sin. And so this slavery is not a status type of slavery as we oftentimes think of it, uh, but a spiritual kind of slavery. Uh, both the man in the highest heights and the person in the lowest lows has to be set free from the bondage to their sin. And so this sin, uh, we, without coercion, man naturally wills himself to sin. He not only chooses sin of his own volition, he in addition to this actually loves his sin. This enslavement does not come from external forces but from within the individual themselves. And so again, contrary to the humanist idea that the reason why people do bad things is because of external forces, the Bible very plainly teaches us that the reason why people do bad things is because they are bad people. It is not the external forces that make us do bad things. It is what is within us that make us do bad things. And so we love our sin. And this is the truth that Jesus is not only communicating to the Jews of his day, but also to us as well that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so once more, Jesus ties freedom directly to himself, that he, the true and faithful son, sets the sinner free from sin and makes that sinner a child of God. Dear friends, it is this truth that shines in the darkness that God is holy and a righteous creator whom we have offended. 
Not only do we need rescue from the penalty of sin, we need freedom from our enslavement to sin. Not only is the Son, Jesus Christ, or only in the Son, Jesus Christ, are both of these things accomplished. Only in Jesus Christ do we not have to suffer underneath the penalty of sin, but also we are set free from our bondage to sin. To live obedient lives to God through the power of the Holy Spirit is only in Jesus Christ that we are freed from the penalty of sin and from our enslavement to sin. Furthermore, only through the Son does the slave become a son. And again, this point is very important for us to understand. The Bible calls this word adoption, right? And so only through Jesus Christ does the slave, the person who has no inheritance in the Father's house, become a child of God with a glorious inheritance. And this leads us to our last point, the people of God in the darkness. And so moving over to verse 39, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, and that is God. And Jesus said to them, if you were uh, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God, and I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my words. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because what I say is true, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. And so again, this leads us to our final point. In the midst of darkness, it is only the people of God who will see and acknowledge the truth. The truth continues to go forth in our world. Yet only God's people will see, acknowledge, and follow that truth. To understand this, we have to examine the importance of Abraham to the scriptures, both the Old and the New Testament. And so Abraham uh, was called uh, by God in Genesis chapter 11, uh, formerly known as Abram. He was a son to uh, the Chaldeans, and if you're familiar with the, with the Chaldeans, they lived in the land of Ur, and they were an idolatrous people. Uh, they did not worship the true and living God, but they worshiped idols created by their own mind. It is this, it is in this place that God found Abram and called him out of Ur to tell him to go to a place where he would show him. In the life of Abraham, we see the gracious choosing and calling of an idolatrous sinner and making a covenant with him. God promised Abraham that he would be a father of many nations, that his descendants would be as numerable as the stars in the sky and as uncountable as the sand of the seashore. The Jews understood this to be their physical descendancy. 
Uh, but again, it is because they did not quite understand the nature of God's redemptive work. The promise that was made to Abraham would, was that he would be a father of many nations, not just a father of a singular nation. And the Jews missed this point that it was always God's intention to use the nation of Israel to bring peoples from all nations to himself. Thus, we find the Messiah coming from Israel, not only to save the Jew, but the Gentile as well. And again, the Jews did not understand this in their day. And again, we see in the scriptures that the true descendants of Abraham are those who do the deeds of Abraham. And so what are the deeds that Jesus refers to? What is it that Abraham did that these Jews are missing, that they are not doing? Well, the deeds of Abraham are actually quite simple. The deeds of Abraham are faith. As we read in Genesis, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so the deeds of Abraham, the deeds of the Old Testament saints, the deeds of the New Testament church are simply faith. Again, a person cannot earn their way to God. There is nothing that a person can do that would ever warrant God loving them, being gracious towards them, or being merciful towards them. And again, the deeds of Abraham are quite simple. It is faith. They believed God. And the thing that the Jews are missing in Jesus' day is that Jesus has come from God and they are not listening to him. That Jesus is the revelation of God. And instead of being obedient to the revelation of God, instead of being obedient to the words and the commands of Jesus, they are not listening. This is what leads Jesus to tell them that they are not doing the deeds of God the Father who is in heaven, but they are doing the deeds of their father, the devil. By rejecting the word of God, by choosing disobedience to God instead of obedience. What the Jews are missing is that they are not obeying the revelation of God that is right before their eyes. And to make matters worse, they are seeking at this point to kill Jesus. And again, one thing that Jesus makes very clear is that there are only two kingdoms in which a person can belong. The kingdom of God through the Son or the kingdom of Satan. Uh, again, there is no in-between. You are either for Jesus or you are against Jesus. One is either obeying the word of God or he is disobeying the word. He is either following or he is not. Jesus here connects the truth with the deeds of the people. God's people are people who are on the side of truth. And so it is a misnomer to assign the name of Christian to a person who does not adhere to the truth. God's people are people who hear the truth, believe the truth, and follow the truth. Once again, Jesus ties being a true descendant of Abraham to those who are obedient to God. As in the days of Abraham, who is obedient to God, uh, obedient to the word of God, so too Christians in our day are those who are obedient to the word of God. But make no mistake, this is not a flawless uh, perfection that we are talking about here, right? Christians do still sin. And 
they adhere to the truth. In the midst of their sin, they do not seek to work themselves back into a good relationship with God, but they do as Abraham did. And they believe the promises of God. God has revealed himself and his commands in the pages of scripture. His command, again, quite simply, is that we believe the one whom he has sent. And it is these people who are the descendants of God, descendants of Abraham, those who believe. Jesus makes it plain here that those who are of God hear the truth, and this hearing leads to one of two responses. Either the person believes the truth, or they reject the truth. There is no gray area. You are either on the side of truth or you are against it. But again, once more, what is the truth? Well, the truth is this, that God is a righteous and just creator of all things, both seen and unseen. And man, by his own volition, sinned against God, bringing upon himself the justice of God. Man cannot save himself. He is completely and utterly helpless to reconcile himself to God. Man needs a savior. And God, in his grace, mercy, and love, came to us, in his son Jesus, to live the life that we should have lived, to die under the wrath of God in our place, and be raised from the dead on the third day, that all who repent of their sins and place their trust in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. One day he will come again, which leads us to the glorious conclusion of our inheritance. As mentioned before, the sun remains in the house forever. Though the darkness may abound now while we remain here on earth, there is a day that is coming in which God's kingdom will be consummated. A day when sin will, no, will be no more. Suffering will be no more. Tears and sorrow will be no more. Idolatry will be no more. And all that will remain are the king and his people to enjoy one another for all eternity. Dear friends, this week let us cling to the light of life for his promises, for he promises that we will not walk in darkness. Let us hold fast to the truth that we are made free by, and let us love one another, for we are a family, those who are born again and are a part of the household of God, and we have a glorious inheritance. Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you uh, this morning um, praying just that we would hold fast to this reminder um, that the world offers up many different solutions uh, to the problem uh, that man faces, but it's only in following the light of the world, your Son, Jesus Christ, that uh, we find a true remedy to our problem. It is only by believing the truth and adhering to the truth that we are set free. And it is only by remembering that one day you will return to make all things new that gives us hope in the midst of a dark world. Lord, we pray that these truths will cling tightly to our heart as we go into the world this week to serve you in all the different areas in which you have placed us. We ask and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.